A couple of weeks ago, when we were having our congregational week of prayer on the opening night, and brought a devotion on the subject of a thirst for God. And it's a good thing for us as believers to, well, come back to pray to the Lord, to renew uh, our hunger for His truth and a deep heart thirst for His presence in our life. And as we sing our opening psalm today, number 42, and David picked up the theme of the heart, the deer panting after the water brooks. And so he says, so my soul pants, Lord, for Thee. It is a thing that's good to pray for. Sometimes we go through life and we seem to, well, not be as conscious of the Lord's presence, not as conscious of our need of the Lord as we should be. Uh, it's a good thing to pray. And so as we begin our service today and sing this psalm, let the words and the truth of it come to rest firmly in our hearts and pray them unto the Lord today. We'll stand as we worship. bow before the Lord, please, in prayer now. And as we do, we, well, we come again to ask the Lord, the very theme we've been talking about so far, Lord, create a hunger, create a thirst in me, so that we would be very conscious of the Lord's help today. I don't know what's been the beginning of your day today so far. When I got to the church this morning, the fire alarms were going off in our school building, and it had to do with the sprinkler system and so on. Now, thankfully, I don't 
think there was anything that actually happened apart from the alarms going off, and we had to call the serviceman in to come and have a look and see what's all about. But that's not a good welcome to the Lord's property and house when you're coming to start off the day. And so your mind is all consumed with other things, at least mine was anyways. Thankful Brother Cleland was able to also come to the school and meet the technician and, well, we'll take the next step forward. But these things happen. And I don't know what's been the beginning of your day so far, but sometimes it's very good just to take a moment and just settle your mind, and settle your heart. And as we do that, as we come to pray today, let's, let's focus upon the Lord as we still ourselves in His presence. Our loving Father, at the very commencement of our time today, we want to do just that, Lord, and to consciously and purposefully with our hearts settle our minds and be still. And dear Father, we want to come into Your holy presence today with thanksgiving in our hearts, with praise in our minds, that we will lift our rejoicings and our thanksgivings to our loving Father. Lord, You are so kind and merciful and good to us. Father, we cannot begin to give the praise and the thanks that Your holy name and You are worthy of. And so we ask, Lord, to begin this day that every believer, that we would all be very conscious of the Holy Spirit's presence, of our minds being lifted up above the mundane things of this world. Lord, I don't know what has been the case of various families or people that have come today rushed, some problem, some issue happened. Ah, but Lord, we're thankful this morning that we are in the house of prayer and praise. And Lord, just now shut away every other distraction and let our minds and our attentions be focused on the purpose at hand. And we have come, Lord, and we are thankful for the joy and the blessing and the privilege of being here in the place of prayer. Father, we open Your Holy Word. We want to read by the Holy Spirit's power, and we pray that the application of that truth will be fastened to our minds. We're asking, Lord, to take the Scripture as we investigate it further today, and our Lord Jesus would be made known to us in some dimension, some aspect that we have not known before. And Lord, that we would pray as Paul did, that I might know Him, the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His suffering. Dear Lord, open our hearts today. Create a thirst in us for our Lord. Create, Father, we pray, a hunger after truth and righteousness and purity of thinking. Lord, take away from us, we ask, the philosophy and thinking of the world that is so intrusive. Lord, it creeps in from many different angles, and it seems that we're trying to plug the holes in that dam as the water would come through. Ah, Lord, we pray that you would lift our hearts and our minds to 
be focusing on those things that are right and true and noble and just and honest and pure. And Lord, we will feast ourselves on those things and allow the garbage of the world to be set aside. Dear Father, we give thanks this day for the blessing of being here, for those able to view our service online this morning. Bless them as well and all of their particular needs. We're thankful for bringing our sister Lisa back from overseas safely today. Lord, continue your hand upon her daughter, her grandson, and son-in-law. And dear Father, we pray that others who are here, maybe for the first time or they've come back again, pour out your spirit of blessing and encouragement to them. Remember, Lord, those who are sick and who are set aside with very long-term issues. Father, draw near and give them grace. Give them a measure of healing. Touch their bodies. And most of all, Lord, touch the mind and the heart. And for all of us, as we long to go on and advance in our Christian walk, pour out Your grace, Lord, upon us abundantly. Open the Scriptures daily to our hearts. May we hunger and feast upon the things of Christ. Remember our land. Lord, we are in great need. How often, Father, have we prayed as we are commanded for those in authority over us, politically speaking. Father, save their souls. Restrain them from their evil ways. And Father, bless our land with gospel freedom. Bless, Lord, and cause the church to be expanded and growing. Those who are faithful to the gospel of Christ, save precious souls, we ask. Lord, use us, we pray, to see souls born again in this very Malvern area, in our city of Toronto. Lord, restrain that which is evil and bless that which is good and right. And so, Father, we do not forget today our brothers and our sisters who are in harm's way, under persecution, under the threat of imprisonment or some other harm because of their faith in Christ. Remember churches that are being uh, attacked and persecuted in various lands. Oh God, help, we pray, and pour out your blessing upon them. So, Father, receive our thanksgiving this morning. Cause us to rejoice in all of your loving kindness and mercy to us, Bless us now as we continue in our singing, in our praise, and our worship. We ask this in our Savior's precious and holy name. Amen. Well, let's continue, please, in our praise to the Lord, a great hymn, number 52, Crown Him with Many Crowns. And this is a, a particular hymn and song that you can really uh, fill your lungs with oxygen and uh, let the praise of the Lord come to your, uh, your heart this morning. Let's stand, please, as we sing.
Amen. Please be seated this morning. Wow, in singing that hymn, my voice has got a little frog in it there. The potentate of time, the praising of God for the moments that we have on this earth and for all eternity, our song will be, crown Him the Son of God, crown Him the Son of Man. We're going to be thinking about that again this morning in our time around the Word. And believer, let your heart be filled with thanksgiving to Him and to worship Him with your heart and soul today. Welcome to our morning worship service. We're glad that you are here today. And we're very happy that our sister Lisa is brought back safely from her time over in Qatar, visiting her daughter Kiera and also her uh, new, her grandson, Theodore. And uh, we pray for them, for the family over there. We're thankful, Lisa, that you've been able to go over and come back safely. And I'm sure it was a, a difficult parting to leave them. And uh, good to see our brother Danny back this morning. We have missed you, Danny. You've been away for a long time, uh, not too well. And also with him is grandson, Emmanuel. We're very happy that you're in the service. Emmanuel goes way, way back, many, many years ago. I remember seeing him in the church when he was just a little fellow. And uh, so we're happy, Emmanuel, that you're here. And then also, it's good to have Andrew in the service this morning. Uh, Andrew, you also go a long way back in our congregation. As a matter of fact, Andrew was baptized by Dr. McClellan many, many years ago when he and his family used to attend the congregation here. So, Andrew, we're very happy that you're with us this morning, and uh, you're very uh, warmly welcome here. Also, Lisa, it's good to see you this morning, Lisa and Glenn, and uh, welcome. I didn't get a chance to speak to you last Lord's Day, but I'm glad that you're here, and uh, certainly welcome. We've been praying for uh, Brother Glenn that the Lord's hand would continue to be upon him health-wise and be with him and encourage him in the Lord. And so, everyone else, if I don't have your name, it doesn't mean you're not welcome and we just want to encourage you to sign our visitor's book if it's your first time today. And folks online, we apologize for last Lord's Day. Our main computer was giving us trouble, and it shut down. We were not able to broadcast sermon audio last Lord's Day, but we hope that all is in order this morning. And so let me encourage you and thank you for your support. If I say to the folks online, if we can be of any help to you, if you have some prayer concern, you want to reach out, There'll be an email on the screen that will come up at some time through the service, and you can uh, take note of that and get in contact with us there. We'd be happy to uh, speak with you. Now, you'll notice a little change behind me this morning, and that has to do with the pulpit wall. And uh, we're trying a few things. We, are, that we have some wallpaper that's just thumbtacked to the wall behind me, and of course it is a picture of stonework. And uh, we are considering whether this would be uh, something to make an addition to the back of real stone, mind you. And so you can uh, speak to one of the elders or myself and see what's your opinion, you like or you don't like. And uh, we'll see about moving forward on some of these new things that we want to beautify and uh, improve the house of the Lord as we are thankful for His mercy and the things He has given to us. Remember, please, our services today at 5.50, our prayer time, and uh, last Lord's Day evening, there were hardly enough chairs in the prayer room, 
uh, to fit all the people who wanted to be there. And this is a tremendous encouragement. And we challenge you and encourage you to uh, come to the pre-service prayer time at 5.50. It's in the room just out to your right uh, in the fellowship uh, hall. And then our evening service tonight at 6.30. And then following the service tonight, we will be having a hymn sing for about 10, 15 minutes or so. And so these are always times of great enjoyment. We can just praise God in our times together at the end of the Lord's Day. So please remember that. And then on Wednesday evening, we have our Bible study and our prayer time at 7.30. Be there in good time, folks, and come with a mind and heart prepared to seek the Lord, prepared to pray. God has been moving and encouraging us through the place of prayer, and it is a great blessing to your own soul, and I encourage you to be much in attendance there. Please keep in mind um, a family outing that we're planning on the 24th of February, and if you have a pair of old skates, maybe in the closet that has a bit of rust on them, you might want to get the sandpaper out and get the rust off the blades. We're going to be having a family skate, and that's at the Canlan Sports Arena on Markham Road, February 24th, 9 in the morning, 9 to 11, two hours. It's for all families and children, everyone want to have a nice time together if you're able. And even if you don't skate and you want to come along and watch, uh, you're welcome to do that. We're going to be gathering back at the church here after that for a pizza lunch. And so we're looking forward to that time on the 24th of February. Those are all the ministry announcements that we have for you at this time. We're going to sing to the Lord again, and this particular hymn is one that was written by a brother John Bodner, the late John Bodner, and the tune is a familiar one to us. And the words on the screen, what in all the richest beauty that abounds this vast world over can compare with my Lord Jesus, Christ the Savior I adore. Not the lily of the valley, not the rose of Sharon rare, not the cedars spreading Lebanon, but with Jesus none can compare. Remain seated while we sing this together.
Turn, please, in your Bibles. We have two readings this morning. First of all, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Luke 23, verse 1. And the whole multitude of them arose and led Jesus unto Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, saying, Art thou a king, the king of the Jews? And he answered him and said, Thou sayest it. Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And they were the more fierce, saying, He stirreth up the people, teaching throughout all Jewry, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked whether the man were a Galilean. And then the Lord was taken to Herod, and Herod paraded him in front of his soldiers and his court, and Herod was rather amused and intrigued by Christ and wanted to see some miracle. If you're the Christ, give us a little show. Let's see some entertainment here. And the Lord remained silent. He didn't say anything to Herod. And then he was brought back. One of the sad realities was that Herod and Pilate, who up to that time were enemies of the gospel, enemies each other, all of a sudden they became friends. And when friendships are made at the cost of Christ, those friendships are born in hell Beware, friends, beware of those people that find their friendship in the mockery of God. In verse 16, Pilate says, I will therefore chastise him and release him, for of necessity he must release unto them at the feast one. And they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas, who for a certain sedition made in the city, and for murder, was cast into prison. And Pilate, therefore willing to release Jesus, spake again to them. But they cried, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And he said unto them the third time, Why, what evil hath he done? I have found no cause of death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. And they were instant with loud voices, requiring that he might be crucified. And the voices of them and of the chief priests prevailed. We'll turn, please, over to John's Gospel, chapter 19. John 19, the first 12 verses. 
Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him, and the soldiers planted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe, and said, Hail, King of the Jews, and they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that ye may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold, the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, he cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have power to crucify thee, and power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. We'll bow, please, for prayer. Lord, as we have come to read once more these most solemn and haunting words, we pray, Father, for light from the Holy Spirit to help us understand. I pray, Lord, today for the help of heaven. Lord, to give me strength and ability to speak the Word, Your holy Word, faithfully and clearly. I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak, Lord, to any hearts that are unsaved. Father, hear our prayer. Warm each one of us who are true followers of Christ. Warm our hearts. Increase our thirst for the knowledge of Jesus in our own lives. And help us to walk in that manner and way, Father, that is pleasing and honoring and glorifying to You. We ask this this morning in Jesus' holy name.
Amen. Last Lord's Day morning, spoke to you on the statement that Pilate made when he declared, Behold the man. We looked last Lord's Day morning at how Christ would be viewed by the people who were around that scene that day, what they saw, who they saw. And this morning, what I want us to do is to think more specifically about how we as believers, as those who are truly born again of His Spirit, how do we see the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, and God the Son? Our Lord has always been a controversial character. The mention of His name has, from the very first time it was uttered, it has brought varied responses. To some, He was the complete fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the promised Messiah, who would bring salvation from sin, who would restore the ruined state that we as sinners found ourselves in, and He would restore that which had been broken from the very beginning, from the fall of Adam and Eve. And as He has redeemed us by His own precious blood, we see Him as the Redeemer, as the Messiah, as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and what He has come to do in giving us everlasting life. But to other people, the character of Jesus Christ, He is seen perhaps more of a, well, a person of interest, similar perhaps to someone who is suspected of a crime, whose fingerprints were conspicuously evident in all the claims that Christ made of being a prophet, a deliverer, a king, and the one who was sent from God to be the Savior. But such people, they still look upon Christ from a skeptic point of view. They see Him, they've heard of Him, maybe they've even read about Him in the Bible, but the evidence that they're looking for is not sufficient and they're not convinced. And so they continue with an unending litany of questions. Who is this? Why? Where did he come from? What did he do? And there's no end of questions in the skeptic's mind as to why they would not fully be convinced that Christ is who he said he is. And yet from a fearfully large sector, Christ is viewed as an imposter whose claims about deity, about being the Son of God, and therefore being a sinless man, these things all compile nothing more than a myth. They are legends. They're fables. They're something from a religious mind that was, 
Well, it had arisen over suspicion and superstition and cultures that, well, they were trying to develop where we came from and what we have to do with some supreme being. So, it's all just in a vague mist. And they look upon him as someone who, if he did live a human life, he's more of a slick magician. He was able to do things with the trickery of hand, hand and the slight of, of his, his movements. And it's more like someone who is digging and mining for fool's gold and producing it as being real gold. And so they reject him as being bogus. They reject virtually everything about him. And if he could be removed conclusively from the pages of history that he ever walked upon the earth, well, that's exactly where they would be because they discard him. And then there's another sector of people that, quite frankly, when they're asked, what do you think about Jesus Christ? Who is He? They give you kind of a blank look, sort of a a distant stare, and they say, who cares? I don't care. That apathy. To a man like Pontius Pilate, Christ was a great nuisance. He was an inconvenience. He was someone who interrupted his day and was really in the throes of upsetting a very fragile balance between governing this Palestine area, allowing the Jewish nation to have their way in their religious thing, and so Pilate was a man who was shackled with the governance of this place. And as he is confronted with Jesus, he sees someone who is, well, going to ruin his day, and for that matter, ruin the rest of his life as he was governing. Pilate's question about the crime of the offender It was answered rather indignantly by the Jewish leaders because if they recognized this man as a villain, then Pilate should take their word for it and not question anything. But Pilate knew he was an astute man in many ways, and he saw through their hypocrisy. And he made one, well, of three declarations. We've read of them this morning where he very clearly said, this man is innocent of any crime. He is certainly not worthy of death. And Pilate was prepared to say, if you want to judge this man, you take him and crucify him. But the Jews knew they were not under Roman law allowed to put anyone to death that had to be done by the capital punishment or of those and that authority that was in power. And so, What we have before us today and what we have read in in Luke 23 and in John 12, John 19 rather, it it is a, a gripping account of this Roman governor who presents now a beaten, blood soaked body of this innocent man whom he has allowed to be scourged and nearly, as many criminals have been put to death by the very scourging, he presents him to the crowd, and he makes this statement, behold the man. 
as we look again at this word spoken by the Roman governor, I want us to think very deeply today about it. And no matter how anyone else views Jesus Christ, I want to say to you, how do you view Him as a believer, as someone who's been born again of the Spirit of God? And as we look afresh today to our Savior, as we endeavor to see Him whom our soul loves, let's think over in detail. And I say this, the very first detail, as we look upon Him, we behold the man who is innocent of any guilt. The Sanhedrin had very carefully crafted the charges of blasphemy, and they had rallied questionable witnesses to speak to the charge, and of course none of them could agree together. And even though they had prejudged the case, and they had convened a kangaroo-type court uh, to bring judgment against him, Still, they needed to have at least a semblance of justice for their case in which to convince the crowd of the guilt of crucifixion that would be called for. And so the blindness of their rage, the rage in their own hearts, had convinced them that they were actually doing the work of God. Yes, they had They believed that they were following God and they were doing His work. That is the blindness of a a religious superstition that takes people away from the Scripture, the Word of God, and it leads them to do the most heinous crimes against the Lord Himself. But none of the charges they brought against the Lord could stick. And they knew it, and so did Pilate. We've already detailed Pilate's declaration of Christ's innocence. He operated against his own conscience. But the Jews persisted in their cold-blooded murder of the guiltless Son of God. For those who have been saved by the grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and have received the gift of eternal life, the Holy Spirit's witness in our hearts that we are the children of God, the statements of the Bible to do with the sinlessness of Christ, they are not forced upon us nor do we think to have to twist them into some form of reality. But the truth of the revealed Word of God, it bears witness to the only begotten Son that He was without sin. He was innocent. Some people might ask, what's the big deal? Why are you pressing this point? If you're not a believer today, you might be asking that question. 
what does it really matter? I mean, if Jesus had committed some sin, could He still not be the Savior? Could He still not have died upon the cross for the sins of the world? And the very, very clear answer to that, my friend, is absolutely not. If there was one sin in Jesus Christ, He would have had to have died, first of all, for His own sin. He would have died on Calvary's cross for His own sin, first of all, if He ever could have atoned in that way, and then there would be no more life or death for Him to die for the sins of the world. He would have been first punished for His own sin. And therefore, my friend, it was absolutely imperative that the Son of God be without any sin. I say to you today, believer, again, behold the man, your Savior, for He is the holy and harmless and undefiled man who is separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. The Apostle Peter, he speaks of Christ in this way. He said, He who did no sin, neither was there any guile found in his mouth. There was no element of deception, not even in the slightest amount. You and I are guilty of that regularly. Sometimes the communication of our mouth, it might be slightly off for one reason or another. And the sad reality is that we, we have guile within us. It's part of our old nature, but none in Christ. Every word He spoke, every thought of His mind, every motive of His will was absolutely pure. He was without sin. And Paul wrote of this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him, that we might have the cloak of the covering of the purity and sinlessness and holiness of Christ placed upon us. And it's because He is perfect and without any sin that you and I today are able to stand justified before a holy God. We look upon our Lord and Savior as being without any spot or infirmity. There is no sin in Him at all. And He had to be the perfect Lamb of God to offer a perfect sacrifice, to pay completely for our transgressions. There was no other way. Because I say to you this morning, if there had have been another way, why would God the Father have seen His Son suffer so? If the Lord could have developed or arranged or appointed some other way for sins to be removed, would He not have done it? There was no other way, friend. This was the only way. And Christ is our Passover Lamb. And all of the animals 
that were offered in the Old Testament upon sacrifices, I was thinking, would there have been thousands of those animals? Would it not have come into the millions of the numbers that were put to death? But you know, friend, all of those animals, if you amassed all the value of all those animals into one sacrifice, they could have never taken away one sin. For the sin of the human soul cannot be atoned for by an animal sacrifice. So you ask the question, well, why all the sacrifices then? What was the point of them? God was showing to every person who would watch and listen and hear that this is pointing toward my Lamb. Behold the Lamb of God. And that's why the Lord did this. And that's why He presented those pictures and those types and those shadows. It was our Lord Jesus, the Son of God, who became man to stand between the holy and just wrath of God and us. Christ had to be sinless in order to make that perfect atonement that would be acceptable unto God. This man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Ah, Paul makes that so clear in Hebrews chapter 10. And the background of that was all the Old Testament priests. They were legitimately placed in the position of representing the people to God and God to the people. And each time they went to offer the sacrifice, very clearly, the high priest had to, on the Day of Atonement, first of all, have a sacrifice for his own sin, and then he made a sacrifice for the others, the people. But Paul argues that all of those Old Testament priests, their job had to continue. It wasn't just one sacrifice and all would be taken care of. Why all these sacrifices? Because God was showing the repetition of those proves the point. They are ineffectual. They can't do the work. It is only going to be done and can be done by the innocent Lamb of God. So, friend, as you look upon the man today, be reminded again that He is the innocent Lamb of God, not forced to comply, but He did without any forcing take upon Him the just wrath of God. But I want you to notice the second point today is this. Behold the man who is a spectacle of humiliation. You know, it's one thing for a guilty man to bear the shame of his crime and be publicly disgraced and to lose reputation 
to lose standing in society. If someone is guilty of a crime, and if it's a capital crime of murder, and their name is now presented across all the news feeds of this country and maybe the world, depending on the nature of it. And so that person's name is now going down in infamy as a great lawbreaker, a murderer. It's a heavy weight to bear. Now lift this to the height of the Creator. Lift this to the height of the One who is the sustainer of all life, the One who willingly left heaven to sojourn on this earth among men and women who are sinful, and to be accused, to be accused of the most egregious crimes, to be accused of blasphemy against God, to be accused of being born of fornication, an illegitimate son to be accused of someone who is a liar and a deceiver and a cheat and a crook. And all of these things were, were directed against the innocent Son of God. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from Him. Have you ever been accused of something you were innocent of? It's a hard matter to cope with. But what if it went beyond just an accusation? Imagine if it went to a trial and the trial led to a determination by the jury, and that led to incarceration. But the public shaming by stripping you naked for public view. Now, I would hazard to say that that has not happened to anyone here today. No one has suffered the shame of being stripped naked before a public viewing. A few years ago, a woman who attended our church, she was arrested over some family custody dispute issue. And she was taken to the police station, and she told me in tears how that she was strip-searched by the police. For what reason? Still unknown, really. But in tears, she said, I was humiliated in that room. And that by no means was a public setting, per se. But she said in tears to me, I for the first time began to understand something of the humiliation of Christ my Savior who went through that public humiliation for me. She acknowledged, but I am a sinner. I am a sinful woman. 
But my Lord was without any crime or sin, and He had to be subject to this as He was stripped and nailed to a cross. Oh, my friend, think today again of the humiliation that your Lord suffered for you. And think about that as we sometimes go through our minds and we don't give too much of a thought to what our Lord endured on our account. We go through the days of our life and little problems to us become sometimes mammoth problems and we take our little fits. Let us think again of what our Lord suffered and what He endured for us in order to pay for a crime and a sin He did not commit. Stay with me here on the third point. Behold the man condemned for my crime. You know, the promise that God gave to Abraham that through his seed all the nations of the earth would be blessed, and that is a direct reference to Christ, who is the seed of Abraham, and that through the seed of Abraham and the coming of Christ and the work that he would do, there would be great blessings multiplied to millions upon millions of people all the Gentiles, all the Jews who received Christ, all the cultures and nationalities, the gospel was to be spread throughout this entire world. And so we also are reminded that the very mission that Jesus gave to His disciples was to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, for there is going to be a great ingathering. And sometimes, you know, when we are considering the impact and the extent of the gospel word, we can become lost in the size and the magnitude of all this. But when we look, my dear friends, directly at the cross and we see one who suffered and bled and died for me. It brings the matchless grace of a loving God home to us with such a solemn reality. Do you realize, believer, that if you were the only sinner that had ever sinned in this world, that Christ would have gone to the cross for you? This is where it all comes down to when we behold the man, when we see our Lord, we see Him as the one who died for me. And let that truth sink down into your heart. And let it sink down deep inside us. The next time we will point a finger at someone else who may be doing something that we don't think is quite right, or they've offended us, or something, and on and on it can go. Let's have a good deep look into our own heart and realize what Christ has done for us. Listen to these and watch these words that are on the screen of this particular hymn. It's entitled, It Was For Me 
the Savior died. It was for me the Savior died. On Calvary's cross was crucified. For me he bore the guilt and shame that I a pardon free might gain. It was for me, it was for me, my Savior died on Calvary. No greater love could ever be. It was for me, it was for me. It was for me the trial hours with human sin and evil powers that I at last made free from sin might joy and life eternal win. His holy name I will confess, who left His throne my soul to bless. No greater love could ever be. It was for me unworthy me. Yes, friends, behold the man Christ Jesus as He paid it all. It's all to Him that we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but He has washed it white as snow. Now I want you to also notice this morning Behold the man who is glorious in his suffering. After the defeat of Pharaoh at the Red Sea, Moses gave praise to the Lord by saying that God was glorious in holiness. He was fearful in praises, doing wonders. It's not hard for us as believers to glorify God and to sing to the glory and majesty and power and holiness of the Lord. But have we ever thought of how the Savior is glorious in His suffering? Yes. His glory shone through with a radiance that was glorious beyond definition. Hidden from the lost, those who are unsaved don't see it hidden from the indifferent, hidden from the scorner. But oh, today I say to you, wonderfully evident and in the heart of those who have seen Him who has suffered the majesty of His grace. For all of us who have been rebels, He compels us again to look to the cross with a fresh view. The Lord who is there is glorious because He bore the suffering willingly. No one forced Him. He did not do it under constraint. The Lord willingly endured and suffered for us. Yes, He suffered innocently, he suffered restraining himself from a just vengeance. Oh, the Lord, he, he did not have to allow one of those abuses to be against him. He could have stopped them all, but he did not. Oh, friends, today, think of how he could have done all this 
But here in the glorious suffering of the Savior, He destroyed death and He destroyed Satan's power. When it were told in Genesis of the bruising of the head of the serpent, indeed the cross of Calvary did that very thing. And the Lord is glorious in His suffering. Ah, but friends, I say this to you as we bring our meeting to a close. Behold the man who is the only Savior of your soul. I've been talking today primarily to those who do know Christ, but maybe, friend, you're here, or maybe you're watching online today, and you're unsaved, or else you're not fully sure. You don't know where you stand with God this morning. Well, I would say to you, if you are outside of Christ, if you're not saved, then His arms are open this morning to receive you to Himself, that you would be born again of His Spirit, that you would come to see and behold Him as your Lord and Savior, not just someone who happened to die on a cross 2,000 years ago. No, you would, you would see Him as your own, and you would receive Him into your life and heart and confess your sins. And you would say, Lord, save me, for I perish. Yes, friends, who do you see hanging on the cross? Someone who is noble, maybe a martyr, maybe someone who lived a good life and followed certain principles. But don't, rev don't review him from some sort of religious self-righteousness and say, well, I don't really need to be born again because I'm already religious. Thank you very much. Don't say that, friend. Because all our righteous things before God are filthy. They are wicked. And so therefore we must come and repent of our sin. We call upon Him as our Lord and our only Savior. Behold the man today and be forgiven. Behold the man by faith and you will have the gift of everlasting life. We're going to close our service by singing a hymn now. Psalm 80. The tune is familiar to you. Look at the words. Hear Israel's shepherd like a flock Thou that dost Joseph guide, shine forth, O thou that dost between the cherubims abide. O let thy hand be still upon the man of thy right hand, the son of man who for thyself thou madest strong to stand. So henceforth we will not go back, nor turn from thee at all, O oh, do Thou quicken us, and we upon Thy name will call. Turn us again, Lord God of hosts, upon us do vouchsafe to make Thy countenance to shine, and so we shall be safe. There is only one place of safety, friends, 
and that's going to be to rest your soul in Christ today. Let's stand, please, as we sing. has been speaking to your heart this morning, I encourage you to wait behind and talk to me. One of our elders would be happy to point to you from, point you to the Scripture and show you how you can know that you truly are saved. We can't save you. No man can do that. It's only the, the Lord's Spirit who can do that. Father, I pray this morning that the Holy Spirit would work. And Lord, I know that a soul can call out right where they are standing now. And I pray, Lord, you would do that, working in their heart. Help us all who know Christ to love Him more, to esteem Him great, greatly. And Lord, that our lives will reflect him in more ways than we have done in the past, and that we will grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ. So, Father, part us now in your fear with your rich and mighty blessing, for we ask in Jesus' name, amen.